Hey, I'm Sam. And I'm Lizzie. And we're queer people who love movies. This is Subtextual. Awesome! Oh, wow! Like, totally freak me out, I mean right on! Subtextual is number one. Oh, I love it. Oh, my God. I love it. We've got spirit. Yes, we do. We're back in the studio. How about you? Just, <laughs> just keep doing it. Just do the whole podcast and cheer. <laughs> it is 100% possible. Y'all cannot see my arms, but they are in a perfect V. Oh, yeah. Lizzie <laughs> has been training her whole life for this episode. Oh, my God. We're back. I missed being in front of this fucking microphone. I miss watching these movies. I missed watching these movies. I missed talking about them with you. We're back from our summer vacation. We're going back to school. Mm-hmm. I laid these clothes out on my bed last night. <laughs> I have all new papers, all new pens, all new notebooks. Everything's sharpened. Everything's brand new. I'm so pumped. And this episode was chosen by our gayest level patrons, which I thought they chose very, very well. Even though we almost caused <laughs> a bit of a rift online by making them choose between this film and Pitch Perfect, which apparently I should not do and is a cardinal sin. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they were very understandably upset. But if you are a Patreon member, and we give you choices for films. Picking one does not necessarily mean we'll never do the other. It's just you get to hear them when you want them the most. And so right now, let's bring it on. If you're interested in joining our Patreon, you may join at any time. Patreon.com slash pod. You get merch. You get choices. You get bonus episodes called fan service, which I think we might as well tell them what our episode for July is going to be, right? Yeah, Oppenheimer. The people spoke. They wanted <laughs> Oppenheimer. We said, Barbie or Oppenheimer? And they said, hmm... Just kidding. It's Barbie. It was unanimously Barbie. (laughs) There was not a single vote for Oppenheimer. And I think that really means we know our (laughs) audience quite well. It wasn't like an ironic choice. I really wanted to know which one you wanted us to see. Because we're going to see both anyways. Yeah. Both three-hour films. I hope Barbie is four hours long. I wish the (laughs) runtime was reversed a little bit there. But we'll be talking so much about Barbie and maybe a little bit about Oppenheimer, but mostly Barbie. in our episode of Fan Service this month. So subscribe if you want to listen to that. Or don't if you don't. That's cool. We're cool (laughs) either way. Um, And one other special announcement. Oh, my God, y'all. So much has happened. Yes. We are launching our first ever live show. Mm -hmm. If you live in New Orleans or anywhere in the coastal South United States and you want to drive to New Orleans... August 13th at Zoni Mash Brewery, we are doing a live fucking subtextual event called... Gay Movie Fun Show. The Gay Movie Fun Show. I'm so incredibly pumped. This has been like a little creative masterpiece for Lizzie and I. We've been working on it for a really long time. So if you guys are in the area, we really hope to see you. And if you want the specifics, you could follow us on Instagram. We'll be posting more about the show and the coming shows because we're hoping it to be a monthly thing. Yeah, a monthly live show. That'll be fun. That'll be drinking beer, trivia, all the things for some of the movies that we watch here on the pod. And... You know, in case you weren't fucking sick of us yet, here's another chance to be sick of us in person. (laughs) In person. (laughs) Yeah. So really excited about that and just really happy to be back, you guys. Thank you so much for being patient and I hope you had a good summer. Yeah. I hope your summer is slamming. I hope you have the six-pack abs that you need. Um, If you didn't, watching Bring It On will motivate you to get six-pack abs. Holy shit. This was like Bend It Like Beckham on steroids. It was like Stick It meets Bend It Like Beckham meets Little Women. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Desperate Housewives. It's a lot. Yeah. Okay. Can we jump into it? Because I have my notes prepared. I see that little handwritten notes when you don't always take notes. I usually wing it, but this... This one, I was like, I've got so many random little thoughts up here that I need you to know. So, like, what what's your history with the film? Bring it on. God, I don't remember, like, you know, there's, like, before Christ after. <laughs> there was, like, never a before bring it on for me. I feel like I've always had it in my bones. Like, I watched it again for this episode, but I really didn't need to. I know every single thing that happens. This is one of those films where I not only know, like, almost every line, but the facial expressions. Mm-hmm. Of every character at any given point in the film. Mm -hmm. I've seen this movie so many times. Well, you were a cheerleader. So did you see it more because you were a cheerleader or did seeing it make you want to be a cheerleader? You know, I always wanted to be a cheerleader like in middle school. I was not a cheerleader until my final year of high school. It was like it's a very expensive sport and takes a lot of time. I was doing other extracurriculars like soccer, softball, volleyball, you know, all the other super straight sports. Yeah. And so when I finally got to be a cheerleader, there's no doubt in my mind that 
certain characters in this film influenced my attitude as being a cheerleader because I do remember doing a project my maybe junior or senior year of high school. Our civics teacher let us do a video project for the kids who didn't want to write a paper. <laughs> and we somehow spun a short film about a time-turning device that could put you into movies as an entry for a civics project. Oh we God. got an A. It must have worked. But one of the many films that we like traveled to in our short was Bring It On. Wow. And we did the Hey Mickey outro and everything for our credits. I so. love that, the, the attention to detail. Tiny tangent, but when I was in high school, I didn't want to write a paper on The Great Gatsby. So <laughs> I propositioned my English teacher to like let me do a short film. And I eventually got so many people in the grade that wanted to do short films with me that we spun a mini film fest. <gasps> of The Great Gatsby Of The film? Great Gatsby. So That's yeah. the sweetest thing I've ever heard. I won best props. Aww. That's not even good. <laughs> That's like, shit, shit, shit. What did she do well? Uh, <laughs> props. <laughs> it's like I, I planned the whole thing and I got props, but that's all right. I'll take it. It's an honor to be nominated. <laughs> it's an honor just to be up here. Thank you to all the other nominees. Yeah. Uh, uh, so funny. We're so similar. <laughs> Lee, have you seen Bring It On? I've seen it. It's been a long time, probably since uh, when it came out is the when I saw it. And the thing I take away from this, this is the movie where two competing cheerleading teams have the exact same routine. Yeah. Yes. Time for total domination. 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 Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I love that idea. It sounds like so ridiculous that it could never happen in real life, but it's just like it works in a movie. It's believable for the movie. And I, I don't know. I think it's hilarious. Yeah, that's an incredible scene. And, and so much of this movie can be like iconic. I remember this one scene and it's like totally valid. That scene in particular as well. This movie is like mother to so many other series and films that we love. Like for sure, Glee wouldn't have been as huge as it was if it, if Bring It On hadn't paved the way. I would even say the same for like Mean Girls. Like mm -hmm. it really allowed a space for films that could pretend to be like shitty high school movies, but were secretly good movies underneath. Yeah. It really paved a way for that kind of film. And this movie talks about a lot more serious stuff than I think I even realized like watching it as a 20 something year old. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. There's all these serious themes baked into it. And the students uh, speak as adults would. They don't speak in the like uh, outlandish teenager talk that you see in like most recent like Netflix shows about teenagers. And I think that's really impressive. But yeah, I, as a kid or like as a teenager, you take these like things that happen to you in life in stride. And then when you kind of zoom out, you're like, oh, that was really influential and like kind of more deep than I assumed it was. And I think this film does a really good job, like watching it as like a 27 year old now. I'm like oh, wow, that guy really sucked. And not in the, like, he's cheating on you way. And the, like, right. he is probably terrible for your character building. Exactly. We're kind of, like, seeing characters, like, young characters at the end of their arc, like, when they're already becoming confident, established, like, self-possessed people and not, like, the beginning part where they're mm -hmm. total messes and insecure. Like, there isn't a lot of insecurity in this movie. And that's really cool for a high school movie. Yeah, it's like, you know, at the end of Mean Girls where Regina George is, like, on the lacrosse team? Mm -hmm. It's like we're watching Regina George playing field hockey or whatever. Like, we, yeah, we skipped the beginning where she's uncomfortable and, like, figuring herself out. And now it's just like, I'm a young adult and this is what I like to do. Yeah. So let's dive in because I think this movie was crafted with a lot more intention than I even imagined in all the hundreds of times I've watched it. So the film was directed by a man named Peyton Reed. Um, up until this point, he was more of a director for TV. At the time when he was offered this film, he was actually directing an Upright Citizens Brigade series in Chicago. And if you don't know UCB, they're like a really well-known improv troupe from Chicago where like Amy Poehler got her start. Mm. He had a background in comedy and then he was offered this film as his feature directorial debut, which like fucking okay. Jesus. Back in the time when you can just do that. Yeah. And since then, he directed a couple other films that I've seen, including Yes Man, Down With Love, and the Ant-Man movies. Oh, Down wow. With Love is killer, straight uh, up. I think the only one I've seen is Yes Man, but we love that. That was pretty effectively shot, I would say. Yeah, they're like funny, effective, cheeky movies. But the star creator, I would say, of Bring It On is someone we've actually talked about on the podcast before. I know who it is. Who it is. The be? writer, uh, I forget her name, she wrote uh, Stick It as well. Yeah. Jessica Bendinger. Mm -hmm. So this woman is 
someone I would like to extend gratitude for awakening my sexuality as a young idiot. Yes. For sure. Because, uh-huh. yeah, she wrote and directed Stick It, which we did that film a few months ago. So definitely listen to that episode if you haven't. Um, she was also a writer for Sex in the City, and she wrote Aquamarine, that, like, mermaid movie. They have sex through her blowhole. Arnarkly <laughs> <laughs> are. Um, so for many great films with non-white cis male leads, it took Jessica over 28 pitches and four years of peddling the film around to get it greenlit. No one really wanted to believe that a cheerleading movie could be good. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people just kind of like put it down as like, well, this is just a sexy teen comedy and we have plenty of those and who cares about what these cheerleaders are going through. And no one really saw the satire in it as much as it also leans into just like being a silly teen comedy. I guess some of the dialogue is satirical but I feel like the the character's motivation is really genuine and earnest yeah they're never taken as a joke yeah it's not like a joke on cheerleaders it's like sometimes they're like oh nobody saw you fall and then you reveal that like you know (laughs) your face is covered in blood blood. yeah yeah it kind of has the same tone as mean girls is that to me is that like this in this universe this is the number one most serious thing that is going down yeah and they are being like pushed to their limit emotionally especially Torrance this girl oh god I feel like she should have a mental breakdown on screen but she don't she holds it together she has the stress of someone like operating a small country definitely <laughs> I have a quick question what year yeah. was this released this was released in the year 2000 oh wow mm-hmm. okay okay so a pivotal a pivotal moment in cinema history yeah And they keep calling it a low-budget film, but I just don't believe that. A low-budget film back in the day probably used to be different because this is like a multi-million dollar film. Like, what is a low-budget? I think the stars that they got, I mean, Kirsten Dunst had done Interview with the Vampire and um, Drop Dead Gorgeous. Oh, and Virgin Suicides. Virgin Suicides. So she was probably the number one get. Yes. And then Eliza Dushku had, I mean... Buffy was in its fifth season, I think. Yeah. It started in 95. So she was like a series regular at that point, but maybe. I she mean, was a known face for sure. Yeah, but she was not, um, I think, in a lot of feature films before this moment, especially right. as like a central character. So I think they got a lot of the teenage actors for a pretty good price. Yeah, for sure. I mean, most of this film is like young people on the up and up, like Jesse Bradford, too, who plays the love interest, and Gabrielle Union. Like mm-hmm. they were right at the edge of being hot. And then this really like pushed them over for sure. Yeah, there's not a single dud in the ensemble at no, all. No, no. The ensemble. Ensemble cast is just spectacular. So yeah, Jessica Bendinger, you know, Stick It is one of those films that's like more than meets the eye. And Bring It On is definitely the same way. Uh, Jessica in an interview says that this film was, quote, the perfect Trojan horse in which to hide lots of cool stuff, which is basically like a commentary on cultural appropriation, which is the main conflict of the film. Is like this white squad stole moves from a black squad that couldn't compete. Mm-hmm. And how does the, the leader of the squad basically deal with that? And how does she make it right? I appreciate that they didn't go the white saviorism route because you see Torrance struggling with that. She feels guilty. And so she tries to make it right in ways that like, you know, Gabrielle Union at one point says like, oh, you want to give me this check so you can sleep better at night. Mm-hmm. And exactly. it's definitely probably what Torrance is feeling, whether she knows it or not. Mm-hmm. And I, I like that they gave the Clovers a lot of agency. Absolutely. No, the Clovers know exactly who they are. They're like the characters that have already reached the end of their arc in the Mm -hmm. prior film, and now they're at like peak more high ground, peak physical condition. They Mm -hmm. know exactly what they want. And it's really like Torrance for sure who like has to learn how to navigate the complicated situation that she's in. Yeah, been given, I guess, for the most part. And for her credit, like she takes all the clapback, I guess, that... Isis, Gabrielle Union's character, the um, Clover's caption character, gives her. Like, she never really responds back with anger. Like, she kind of accepts all the... She accepts the responsibility, I guess, of finding a way to make things right and does the best she can, even though it's not always the right thing, which... I mean, in 2000, like, what the fuck? Yeah, and it gives this um, motivation. You, you know, you see these sports movies and there's always another team. Like, you think of, like, Brink and whatever. and mm-hmm. And they just always hate each other and there's a lot of animosity for like 
they assign it some ridiculous reason. Right. But this feels very, like, true to life. Well, also, there's no bad guy in this film. Mm -mm. Except for that guy who sold him that number that everyone did at that competition. The spear fingers, yeah. Sparky Palastri. Yeah, he's (laughs) definitely an antagonist off to the side. But, Uh you know, it's not like the clovers are bad or evil. It's not like even the Toros are bad or evil. It's just like a complicated situation. Yeah. And also another thing I kind of noticed about this film. So, like, when you think of cheerleaders, what was your experience with, like, cheerleaders in high school? Did your school even have cheerleaders? No offense to phrase it that way. (laughs) Did your school even have cheerleaders? You had nothing to cheer about, did you? Uh, No. It's like, go math. (laughs) We did it. Lizzie likes to make fun of me because I went to, like, a super nerdy school with no sports. Um, So, of course, we did not have cheerleaders. But I know what they are in the cultural canon, I guess. You've seen enough movies and television where you're like, oh, they're hot and bitchy and cooler than me. That's exactly it. Usually they're like the core of which a school is built around. Like the cheerleaders are the popular girls. Like think Princess Diaries. Yeah. Think Mean Girls. But in this film, in a weird way, the cheerleaders are othered because no one seems to respect what they do or even understand exactly what they do. Like Torrance's parents are constantly like, oh, it's just cheer. You know, Missy says that at one point, a peer. Her brother, of course, like no one really understands what the cheerleaders are achieving other than other cheerleaders. Yeah. And so it's kind of makes this like insular world off to the side. And within that, we see a couple of characters, uh, particularly Missy and another queer character, Les, and even to the Clovers to an extent that are like even further other. They're like on the sidelines of the sidelines team. And I think that's really different for a high school movie as well, because usually the cheerleaders are like the shit. Like, no question, they're the coolest. And I don't really see that as much playing into this movie. Yeah, they don't really focus on their dynamics outside of the football team, which is their counterpart, right? Right. (laughs) Their dumb counterpart. But they're not exactly flexing over the rest of the student body. They're very, like, focused on, like, oh, time to do our jazz squares or whatever. Yeah, time to five, six, and throw each other in the air. Yeah, it's it's giving more theater kid than anything, you know, that's sort of, like, charged animosity and the feeling of no one understanding how hard it is. Mm -hmm. But they all just happen to be really hot and abs and can do (laughs) backflips. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, with that, we can get into the plot. I'm sexy, I'm cute, I'm popular to boot, I'm bitchin', great hair, the boys all love to stare, I'm wanted, I'm hot, I'm everything you're not, hate us cause we're beautiful, well we don't like you either, we're cheerleaders, we are cheerleaders, roll call, call me Big Red, I'm whoa whoa Whitney, Courtney, We don't have to keep this in, but that's what I mean, like, it is satirical but like not at the expense of them you know right like it still takes them seriously yeah like we're drop dead gorgeous which is also kirsten dunch which is why i keep talking about it is more of like it's about beauty pageants and it's like a joke on them that anyone right. would take it seriously but this is not like that it's like all serious high stakes yeah they all keep their like power of whatever power they see themselves having yeah you know what i mean like mm-hmm. the joke is never made at their expense which is what you said earlier mm-hmm. Um, but I love this opening number. Love it. Love it. It's a musical number. Yes. Do we get exposition? Yes. Absolutely. Do we get sexy teen comedy and butts and tit jokes? Yes. We get it all. It's got everything. <laughs> I can't think of anything it lacks. No, it's really smart writing and it's fun and you kind of get the gist and we meet everybody, all the cheerleaders. It sets the tone perfectly as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... From this sequence, we meet our cheer captain, Torrance, played by Kirsten Dunst, who we love. Phenomenal. She's newly minted cheer squad captain at Rancho Carney High School in sunny California. I must say, Lizzie, the buffification of this film. The buffification. Did you catch whiff of that? Like, Yes. There's a direct reference to Buffy in this film. And that's just one of the things. So you've got uh, Eliza Dushku. Who plays Faith. The best character in the whole series. Who I'm obsessed with from Buffy, yeah, who plays Missy in this film. And then you have Courtney, who's played by an actor named Claire Kramer, Mm -hmm. who plays Glory in like season four or five. Oh, I didn't realize there was another actor from Buffy. Yeah, she's like a main character in two seasons of Buffy. And then we have the character of Whitney, uh, who 
was a cordette at one point. Right, she was basically really? yeah, one of Cordelia's little like lackeys in the first season. And not just that, not they also reference Buffy directly in one scene, but Can we beat these Buffies down? I got curfew. Yes. <laughs> Incredible use oh of the English language. <laughs> Which is so funny because she's talking to Kirsten Dunst and Eliza Dushku, who are Buffy and Faith, yeah. basically. Can we beat these Buffies down? And then it's shot in Sunnydale High. No way. It's the same high school. You're fucking with me. I'm not. I'm literally not. I, there was one scene where That's they're outside. I not know. And I saw those arches and I was like, <clears throat> no way. Yeah, it's the same exact high school. That's insane. I never clocked that for a second. Whoa. I know. Growing up is realizing everything is Buffy. This is the Buffy universe if the hell's mouth didn't open. Exactly. They'd just be concerned with cheerleading. Yeah. And <laughs> fucking uh, Sarah Michelle Geller is off in like another clique. She gets to go to college and be normal. Yeah. yeah and just not know martial arts as much. And Faith like matriculates and does gymnastics now. But Faith does gymnastics for sure. Uh, sorry, I had to put that in there because I, I can't see anything else when I watch this movie now. That's amazing. And I mean, this is coming out. This movie came out like basically at the height yeah. of Buffy fandom yeah absolutely so it's all on it's definitely on our minds um so yeah this cheer squad we meet they're all bitchy they're hot they call each other whore and slut they're what jessica bendinger calls bitchy empowerment an early level of empowerment but hey empowerment nonetheless what wave of feminism is bitchy empowerment (laughs) 2.5 i'm riding that wave (laughs) i'm in it's like the big wave that comes before the big wave yeah okay that's where i'm at so Torrance is now trying to prove herself as captain. At her first practice, though, one of the girls eats shit. Oh, Carver, and, recipes. Yeah, recipes, Carver. And gets carried off in an ambulance. Don't worry, guys, I'll be okay. They have to find a replacement. Which leads us to the absolute best tryout slash audition montage in all of cinema history. I totally agree. Absolutely entertaining. You want to know a fun fact about this scene? What? So I call this movie a low budget. It still has a couple million, but... The most expensive item, apparently, on the fucking budget was for them to get the license for Cherry Pie. No. Which is the song that, like, the slutty coyote ugly girls, like, crawling across the yeah. desk at in her audition. That's, like, the most expensive part of this film. That's all of 15 seconds. I know. I was like, y'all couldn't find a different... <laughs> there are other songs that are listed that five. <laughs> they needed Cherry Pie only. Okay, before we get into Missy's absolute banger of a performance in audition. Can we talk about who we would think we would be auditioning for this cheer squad? <laughs> yes. You already have an answer, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> who is it? I think you would be the ballerino that's like just totally didn't read the call sheet. Like you're just coming and just serving and just that's looking so great. Sweet. I think I'm more of a give my regards <laughs> to Rod. <laughs> I'm in the wings, like, and come do the exact same thing after yeah. you. And they're like, we told you. <laughs> Pippin is down the hall. <laughs> oh, yeah. Maybe we're the same person. <laughs> we are. Yeah. But, yeah, this is the scene where we meet Missy, played by Eliza Dushku. We've said her name a hundred times. We're going to say it a hundred more times. It warrants it. I love this actress. So fucking good. She. I feel like this character was made for her. I can't think of a single other person who could have pulled this off. They did not consider another person for this role. Wow. They just <laughs> saw her. Oh, wait. I thought you were giving me trivia. No, that's trivia. Like, wow. the director in an interview was like, yeah, I'm sure we had a second choice, but I don't even remember who it was. It was always her in my mind. Whoa. And I was like, yeah. There's this great quote I found uh, when Eliza Dushku, uh, apparently her agent is the one that sent her on this audition. Like, she didn't really want the role at all. She <laughs> said, and I quote, to her agent, I'm not going on this stupid audition because I still can't understand why you're sending me on it. I'm not a fucking cheerleader. <laughs> she showed up to the audition wearing all black and hungover. <gasps> and she got the part. <laughs> I mean, of course. That's like when you hear about the child actors that got the Harry Potter series. Yeah. I like how Emma Watson did all her homework and like Draco lied and like Ron like forgot to do his homework, you know, and like... <laughs> And Harry just, like, was at a movie theater and the producer was there. Yeah, that's, like, the fact that she didn't want to do it because she was, like, I don't want to be a cheerleader makes her perfect for this. Exactly. Like, she totally, she just is that character, I guess. And this actress is crazy. Like, apparently also, I'm sorry. I know I've always said I wanted to go on the Mamma Mia set if I ever could go back in time and be on set. But being on the fucking Bring It On set would have been pretty cool, too. Because apparently, like, most of the cast was, like, late teens, early 20s, with the exception of, like, 
apparently Kirsten Dunst was the youngest. She was only 17. Wow. So she didn't get to go out and be as debaucherous as everyone else. But the cast on the weekends, because they're filming in Southern California, would just, like, fuck off to Tijuana on the weekends. <laughs> would go to Mexico. And apparently one weekend, Jesse Bradford and Eliza Dushku got caught drinking on the beach, got arrested by Mexican police. <laughs> and a producer may or may have had to bail them out. That part's a little fuzzy. Oh but they God. literally went to Mexican prison and then came back in time for shooting on Monday. That is fucking incredible i'm like she just is faith yeah she is missy i'm sorry but you are these characters i wish it was different i yeah. wish you could be an individual but you can't sorry <laughs> and missy is a hundred percent queer coded yeah okay let's talk about the subtextuality of this film because let's obviously missy right and then you have the other out gay man on the cheer squad whose name is les name is les lovely les uh, yeah and then i was suspected torrance's boyfriend initially was really gay aaron for sure aaron yeah and then there's like some tension with gabrielle union's character and torrance ooh. towards the end i'm like ooh, okay yeah i always saw a little bit of missy and torrance it's the proxy thing it's again the proxy thing but missy for sure is gay oh period the, when she licks her finger and rubs it down the Sharpie tattoo on her arm. Yeah, that's a lesbian. A revelation. Okay, yeah. So we're talking about her audition where she shows up and they're like, no tattoos allowed. So she like wipes it off and then they give her like a ridiculous amount of back handsprings or something. Yeah. Uh, my favorite is the, I transferred from Los Angeles. This school has no gymnastics team. This is a last resort. resort. <laughs> I'm like, you better work, bitch. That's all I need to know. The most character exposition given in the least amount of lines. Exactly. The girls of the cheer squad do not want to elect her into the cheerocracy. They call her an uber dyke. Yeah, not before they fucking hate crime or on her first day of school, though. <laughs> Which I, you know, I feel like, and maybe it's because I can say the word dyke, I feel like it's not utilized enough. <laughs> I'm not encouraging you listeners who shouldn't say the word dyke to go around throwing around the word dyke. But if you can say dyke... I, I say you say it more. This was a heavy throw for sure. Mm -hmm. And she storms out. She's like, ugh, been clocked. Well, she's called an uber dyke and then she gets really upset and yeah. heated and leaves. And it's like, if I'm called something that I'm not, I usually don't get upset. Right, exactly. You know? And she maybe isn't like out yet or something because we see Les, who's the um one of the male cheerleaders on the squad, who's openly gay, be like harassed, verbally even called the F word by the football squad. And he just lets it roll, baby. He doesn't even blink, doesn't sweat. He's like, y'all lose every game. What are you, <laughs> you just lost. coming to me for? <laughs> and as you mentioned, yeah, like Les is very comfortable in his homosexuality. Mm -hmm. And as you see Missy get closer to Les, you see their friendship kind of blossom in the background. Definitely. There's, uh, there's just a clip I'm going to show you soon. Okay. Where they talk basically openly about all of the sexuality of the cheerleading squad. I love it. Which we love. Yes. Thank you, Les. Okay. I have two more observations about Missy. Hit me. Number one, we see her room for like three seconds on screen, but it was enough for me to see a Sleater Kinney poster on her wall. Yet more evidence. Thank you. Lizzie, can you refer to the rule, our subtextual rule about bedrooms? The subtextual rule about bedrooms is that if a character has like posters and doodly dads and drawings and shit on her walls, especially Sleater Kinney posters, because we see that specifically a lot. Yeah, you see it in the Stick It bedroom as well. For sure. They're queer. Yes. Yes, absolutely. If you're questioning their sexuality and they've got nothing but like Sleater Kinney, J Dinosaur Jr. posters up, yeah. that's a lesbian. It's a symbol that they're throwing their identity at the wall and seeing what sticks. And what is sticking is only the gayest stuff. And not to take you away from your other point about Missy, but another subtextual rule has come to fruition in this film, which is if you have a boyfriend in the beginning of the movie, you will not have that same boyfriend at the end of the movie. <laughs> no, ma'am. <laughs> no, ma'am. He's not sticking around. As soon as I'm, I met that guy, I was like, he's out of here. He's out of here. This Kendall is gone. Yeah. And another thing, I'm pretty sure Missy and Cliff are twins, no? Yeah, I mean, she has Sleater Kinney posters in her room. He has The Clash and The Cramp posters mm -hmm. in his room. Those posters could all live in the same room. It could be the same character as one. And they dress kind of the same, like vintage t-shirts. I feel like they're the same person and Torrance gets to pick. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> However she's feeling in the day. Yeah. There's actually a good intro to the character of Cliff 
because I, I do think that the romantic little through line of this film is pretty tasteful for yeah. a hetero storyline. But um, so Cliff is played by Jesse Bradford, and you're going to love this. Two other people that read for this role include James Franco, which is not it, and Jason Schwartzman, which would have been really interesting. But of Princess course, Diaries all over again. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, this, ca- this character really reminds me of Michael. The one with the M&Ms on the pizza. Yeah, yeah. I think they would have served totally different vibes. James Franco has the, like, fuck off, I'm a slacker. Mm-hmm. And Schwartzman has the, like, you'll never understand me, I'm a slacker mm-hmm. vibe. Whereas this character of Cliff, played by Jesse Bradford, is, like, more of, like, the Paul Rudd and Clueless. Mm-hmm. Where, like, I'm around to give advice and I'm really affable and charismatic, but I'm not, I don't think I'm better than you. Yeah, I'm doing my own thing completely. And he has a lot of charm. I think he's a very charming character. And he really doesn't say too much. He doesn't say anything like problematic. Not like the other Tucker in John Tucker Must Die, for example, which was such a shitty character. Is now a good time to talk about my complicated relationship with the character of Cliff portrayed by Jesse Bradford? If not now, then when, my dear? (laughs) May I have the floor? Now, this movie was so confusing for me as a young dyke because like, I didn't know where to look or where to turn or what I have even felt about any of the characters. I knew that I was attracted to Missy's character, and I knew that I, in some ways, related to her or wanted mm-hmm. to be like her. And then I knew that I thought Torrance was, like, fine and cool or whatever. I didn't, you know, feel any strong way about Torrance. But then when I saw Cliff, I was like, do I like Torrance? Because why am I getting so weird and jealous about this Cliff character? And I realize now, like, watching it back over the last, like, five or so years, I wanted to be this motherfucker. To be Cliff. I wanted to be him. Like, I want, and, you know, so many things about him and, like, who I am now. Like Mixtapes. Mixtapes, you know, I'm obsessed with. Like, the posters in his room, all of the bands that I love. He's playing a Dan Electro guitar, which I'm obsessed with. Like, (laughs) everything about his general vibe is, like, who I've been the last, like, ten years of my life. So... I think it was me relating to him and not understanding how, like, at a young age, I could relate more to the guy in a, in a cast of all women. Right. You know? So it was very confusing for me watching this growing up. And he got to hang out with Kirsten Dunst and Eliza Dushku, like, in every scene. Yeah. He had no other friends. No, he actually really didn't, which is concerning. <laughs> I think that the way they did their little love story was so cute. And also something I noticed is that, like, most of the scenes of them, like, flirting involve, like, no speaking, which is a really... Just interesting and unique way to write the script. Like, I think one of the best scenes in the film in terms of, like, story and character is... The toothbrush. The teeth brushing. (laughs) Yeah. They literally say nothing, but you can feel the tension and how, like, Kirsten Dunst, like, hides her mouth while she's spitting the first time and not the second time. Go back and watch it. It's a really great scene. It really builds their relationship. And then, like, there's that scene where they're at the football game and he's in the stands and Courtney and Whitney are like, you're having cheer sex with him. How could you do that to Aaron? And she's just, like, making eye contact with him while they're cheering. cheering. So, so iconic. Cheer and sex. That scene with the toothbrush is so well directed. The tone of that is exactly spot on. And it's one of those things that totally could have been cut. Yeah. They literally say nothing to each other and they're just being horny brushing their teeth next to each other. And I felt that as a kid. I was like, they're yes. going to fuck. <laughs> like just the idea of like sleeping in the same house as your crush and they're like just a couple rooms over. Like that would have driven me nuts in high school. <laughs> anyway, I thought that was really tasteful. But enough of this idle hetero meet cute chit chat. <laughs> That's not what we're here for. <laughs> That's not what we're here for. All right. And from here, this is where the real story begins. So at Missy's first practice, the squad is showing her burr. It's It's cold cold in here. here. And Missy gets pissed and storms out. And we're like, not sure why. And there's this really tense, potentially sexually tense scene where Torrance, like, barges up to Missy. And he's like, hey, what the hell? And Missy, like, looks her up and down. Whatever. It's neither here nor there. Um, On the Kinsey scale, that is. Um, (laughs) But Missy takes her to another school, East Compton High, out near L.A., where we see... The Clovers for the first time with Mm -hmm. Isis, played by Gabrielle Union, reigning over them as Queen Cheer Captain Bitch. And they are performing Burr, It's Cold in Here. This is where I get goosebumps watching this movie. That's when you're like, oh, shit. Yeah, because this is what calls for, like, the Vertigo dolly shot when Torrance is, like, 
you could see her like heart leave her ass when she puts this shit together. Yes, the vertigo dolly for sure. Yeah. And one thing I love about this film and um, something I learned about the production of it is just how different the Toro's style of cheer is from the Clovers. Yeah. Because you see them perform a lot of the same stuff and you can see how you usually see the Toros perform at first and you're like, oh, that's nice and catchy. But then you see the Clovers do it and you're like, holy shit, it is better. It is sharper. It is cleaner. It is the blueprint. It's the blueprint. It has the sauce. It is everything. And they actually hired um, different choreographers for each different team just to give it more of a different signature. Uh, I Um, I had that question. I have more questions about the choreography later as we go on. So hopefully you know a little bit about that. But Girl, I do. So anyway, Tor is figuring out everything that that the Toros have ever done is ripped off from this team. And I also want to stop and talk a little bit about Gabrielle Union. Hell yeah. The Isis character is so self-assured and so grounded in this story and is in full control of her emotions. And, like, she is what the cheer captain is supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And I see Torrance knows that right off the bat. And there's just all these really complicated emotions that flow between uh, these two people that is so interesting. I think Gabrielle Union is just a revelation, perfection. Apparently, she worked really closely with Peyton Reed whenever they were in rehearsals and actually changed a lot of the script to make sure that the Isis character was not a caricature and would be a character that would stand the test of time. And it totally worked because the Isis character still remains like number one ice queen of the universe. Yeah. And what you're saying is so true about the self-assuredness and the way that I'm sure Torrance sees her in a role that she's in and and is taking social cues from her. Mm -hmm. Whereas like when you see Torrance interact with Big Red, who is she was at most points, you know, understandably like her um, superior. Superior, yeah. Big Red was someone who used to tell her what to do all the time. She doesn't have that kind of esteem or regard for Big Red, but she has one two sentence exchange with Isis, and it's like, okay, I'm sorry, I'm yeah. sorry about what I did. You were right. I'll never do it again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You've been touched by an angel, angel girl. girl. Get these buffies out of here. Exactly. Dude. The tension just really ramps up from here so well because. It becomes, like, about race and about appropriation and mm-hmm. how does Torrance now move forward with the team knowing that all their shit is jacked. She has this reckoning where she realizes the last, like, three years of my career where I thought I was being a creative artist was completely stolen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we learn, obviously, that Big Red has stolen all of this stuff from the Clovers and has kept it a secret. So you're like, I've done this bad thing, but I didn't know it was bad. How do I reconcile that with myself? And then you try to tell your peers and they want you to continue to do something shitty because it's comfortable. Like it would be easy and convenient to continue stealing from someone. And she does that for a time. Mm -hmm. Like she approaches the cheer team in the next scene and is like, hey, guys, like our routine for nationals is totally stolen from someone else. And they're like... Well, it's not our fault. Like, they start making all these excuses, Mm -hmm. you know, a team full of white people making all these excuses. And someone says something really shitty like, oh, well, the Clovers can't even compete. Like, they never made it to the competition before because they don't have the funds to do so. Mm -hmm. So no one's even going to know Tor. And they take a vote because it's a cheerocracy, I guess. And even though Missy and Torrance are, like, against it, they eventually do go along with, like, okay, well, let's just just keep going. Like, you're right. It's too hard to get a new routine. And one of the arguments that's made by one of the white members of the Rancho Carne Toros is like, we put in the man hours, we practiced it. Mm-hmm. And all of them are like, yeah, we did practice it. That means it's like hours. Right. It's such like a backwards way of thinking about it, but it's so human and it's, it's so true to how people justify appropriating things. Right. Like, well, but well, I, I didn't know. I did it so early and I couldn't have known it was, you know, insulting or classist or ridiculous. So like, why don't we just continue to make money off of it? You right, know, it is exactly. It's once you know it's wrong, you have the responsibility to do something about it. Well, what's great is like it immediately unfolds in the next scene. Like the team yeah. has a chance to do a change. They choose the wrong thing and then it comes back and bites them again. So like karma's not done. Basically, the Clovers show up at their next football game and start miming all the cheers that the Toros are doing and then the Toros are like Not even just the competition cheers are a fraud and stolen, but every little cheer that we do. And they also are calling us out on it in public now. So like, okay, now that we have this next level of 
I guess, shame, they have to do something about it. So they decide to get a new routine. Yeah, they needed this level of public accountability. You're talking about the scene where they're at a football game, the Rancho Carne Toros, and they're continuing to use the stolen material. And then the Clovers come up and, like you're saying, just do their routines at them yeah. in unison. And mm-hmm. the crowd is like, what the fuck what is, is happening? What is going on? And that's when everyone, it clicks. Like Isis has said in, in the previous scene, like, I'm the captain now. That shit's not going to fly. Like yeah. she's very much going to hold them accountable. Like now, I'm going to nationals. Yeah. Now they have no backup plan. Yeah, exactly. So they have to find a new fucking routine, which I'm telling you, the, the fucking karma circle keeps coming back around <laughs> with these kids because they never make the right decision first. And But that's the thing. It doesn't make them bad people. It makes them human and makes them learn. Um, but they choose to just, like, kind of pay for a, a routine. And so that's when we get Sparky Palastri on the scene, the spear finger. Jesus, this, Nazi. Man, <laughs> this man is terrible for so many reasons, but also... Everybody hates big butts in this movie. I'm like having a conundrum. Like there was a moment in the 2000s where we said butts were bad. We said no tits, no ass, no nothing. Pancake. Pancake. Also in this part of the film, we get a scene where um, a lot of the cheerleaders in the car are talking about their sexuality. And I just want to play you part of that conversation real quick. So in this scene, we have Torrance, Missy, and two male cheerleaders, including our lovely less our gay boy less um on their way to a football game everybody comes to see you ladies anyway because we're such fine athletes i'll live with it you'll be fighting off major oglers while we defend our sexuality what is your sexuality well jan's straight well i'm controversial <laughs> are you trying to tell me you speak fag oh fluently and courtney and whitney psychedelic no are you kidding i don't think so see um Courtney doesn't wear anything under her spankies. There's no excuse, Jan. I can't help it if my digits slip occasionally. <laughs> Nuh-uh, slip? <laughs> Where? Oh, come on, Missy, don't make him say it. Les has oh to have God. the dykiest name ever. It's literally short for lesbian. <laughs> L-E-S is how the character is named. <gasps> how the character's name is spelled, which is incredible. And he drives a Bronco, which might be the most lesbian car in the world. Les is just a little lesbian. Yes. Uh, So we get a lot of really incredible dialogue in this film where (laughs) Missy's character says, Dykedelic. I'm bringing that back. I'm bringing (laughs) that back right now. Please do. And she says um, the F slur in a way that like really makes me feel like she's gay right like she's slinging that word around like no problem yeah i'm not offended when she says it i'm like that's a gay person well when a less says it yeah another less exactly less is fine and then it's followed very quickly by some really terrible uh jan is just saying how he like fingers them, right fingers this one girl who we see the next scene we see like this slip as he calls it and it's definitely like, oh, this cheerleader is like fine with it and like, stop, oh my God, and like yeah. hits his arm and flounces off. It's definitely one joke that did not age well. Um, but I think the earlier part of this conversation where everyone's just talking like so upbeatly and like positively about like, oh, what's your sexuality? Mine's this. Yours is that. Oh, cool. Yeah. Like it is very unique for the time. And this is like an out character we have now, like confirmed, not just like wink, wink. He's nice to a boy at the end. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that was really unique uh, for the time for sure. It's great because it's it before this scene where they get into the car, Missy opens her front oh, door yeah. and uh, Torrance goes, sexy mama, take it off. Yeah, she's wearing her cheer uniform for the first time. Yeah, and so Torrance is giving her a lot of pretty gay affirmation. And they get in the car and the men disclose a lot about their sexuality, which you can see Missy like opening up with. But we never hear about the women's, the women's sexuality in the car. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to follow this scene a little bit more and see how the other part of the conversation went. You exactly. Know? Like, what were they talking about right before and right after? Mm-hmm. Dykedelic, right? Dykedelic, obviously. She's like, they called me out for being, uh, what's it? Uber Dyke. Uber Dyke. Yeah. So they, in turn, must be dykedelic now. Yeah. Uh-huh. I love that. <laughs> uh, it's so good. Great scene. So in this part in the film, the Toros have this new routine that they take to state, but when they go to compete with it, one of the other teams also is using that same routine. How embarrassing because they're caught by the Clovers 
not being original yet again. So they get another chance at karmic redemption where they finally take like their own influences of like fucking for some reason mime and interpretive dance and martial art. I love it. And start all over from scratch, make a really badass routine. And we are on to nationals. That that like total domination domination, domination. still gives me like anxiety every time it's I hear it. It's so embarrassing. The cringe level is a hundred. No, a million percent. We see Big Red like pissed like, come on, I stole all that shit for you. The least you can do is just use it. Big Red, by the way, you think I was obsessed with Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I'm obsessed with Sabrina the Teenage Witch. You guys have heard me talk about it nonstop. Oh, yeah. Lizzie and Lee, maybe not you, the viewer. <laughs> <laughs> but Big Red plays Valerie Burkhead, uh, Sabrina's best friend in Sabrina the Teenage Witch. I thought she looked familiar. If she looks familiar to you. She's not a redhead in Sabrina, but she is in this film. I wonder if it's a wig. It looks like her hair. She's rocking it. Yeah, she looks great. Big Red's evil, though. Oh, that's another evil antagonist who's just pure bad. Aaron and Big Red and... Sparky. Sparky Pulaski. (laughs) (laughs) They're out. They're so last season. Uh -uh. The devil. (laughs) So at Nationals, Tor and Isis come head to head again. They agree to both bring it because whoever performs the best takes home the prize. You didn't think there's a little bit of sexual tension in one of their convos right before they hit the floor where where Torrance is like, hey, just so you know that if you step out of the bounds, like it's a huge deduction. And she's like, I don't need you to tell me like what to do. I know what I'm doing. But then she turns around and is like, if you guys step off that ugly blue carpet, I will kick your ass. And it's kind of like the first time I guess we see her send mutual respect back to Torrance. Mm -hmm. And it's probably the first time Torrance has like ever kind of deserved it. She's like done all this shit wrong and a couple of things right. Oh, yeah. There's even that point right before this where Torrance hears that the Clovers can't afford to go to nationals yet again. So she gets her dad to write a check from his company and like goes to deliver the check. And Isis just rips it up and is like, I don't need this from you. Like your half-ass reparations bullshit. And they raise the money themselves through like I guess these universes Oprah or whatever but yeah that's what I was getting at earlier like you you see that Torrance wants to do the white savior thing Mm -hmm. and you see Gabrielle Union being like I am the captain of this team I am gonna get us here like could you imagine if a captain of another team pays you to go and compete like that's just fucking just like it's embarrassing yeah I can see where she's coming from when I was a kid I was like just take the money and now I'm like it makes so much more sense. Exactly. It's not like a pride thing. It's like a, what is this? Like, I'm not going to let you virtue signal like, oh, it's all good now. Mm-hmm. Like, this is bullshit. And even this attempt is bullshit. Wow. This is a teen movie. Yeah. I can't believe people turned this movie down because they thought it was just ridiculous cheerleading. They didn't read the script, clearly. So, in my favorite fucking part of the movie, we get to see... The Toros perform this really kick-ass original routine and kill it. And we get to see the Clovers perform and absolutely kill it as well. Which, by the way, every actor in this film was meant to know how to cheer. So whenever they were in auditions, they would audition with a cheer. No way. Including Eliza Dushku, which I would give so much money to see that audition tape back. Um, And also, all the actors went to a month-long cheer camp. Wow. Like boot camp to learn how to do this shit. So they are performing these stunts. And I'm sure like some of the stunt performers are like cheer actors who cheered in the past, you know, the ones that are getting thrown up. Mm-hmm. But the actors are performing this two to three minute routine. That was my question that I was referencing earlier. Like I had questions about the choreography, especially towards the end of the film. Because you see Gabrielle Union, Kirsten Dunst, Eliza Dushku in these really tight shots as like the rest of the bigger number is being performed behind them. And it looks like all the actors do like kind of just dance choreography in the front. And then you have people doing aerials in the back that, you know, don't get lines or whatever. Right. So I'm wondering if that's how it was split up. Like they kind of just do dancing with like cheer effects, but no one's doing like cartwheels or anything actor wise. Um, yeah, I don't think you see, I think you see them performing dancing, you're right, but not like actual stunts, maybe, well, that's not true, you see them do some minor stunts, like Kirsten Dunst gets lifted up on a man's arm into the air at some point, like, 
not in this scene in particular, though it might happen, but definitely at one of the football games, the slip digit scene. <laughs> um, so they're performing at least a shit ton of dancing. Yeah. Which is a lot. And all the other performers are not like stunt performers, like they're actors who they taught how to cheer or cheerleaders who knew how to act or something. <laughs> yeah. um, so all in all, they're all performing this choreo together, not to say that K-Dust can like pull a backflip. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe she can. Apparently in the audition, I just have so many tidbits about Eliza Dushku. Apparently in Eliza's audition, Peyton Reed, the director, asked her, like, can you do a split? And she was like, huh, I'm not sure. And then just went, boop, and like <laughs> fell into a split. She's like, I guess I can. They were like, get this girl a deal memo. <laughs> I am obsessed. I'm I want to walk around the world with whatever hangover confidence that she had in this <laughs> audition. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, her sort of like nonchalant, cool, I guess, bravado that comes through maybe as the actress, Eliza Dushku. I think that's what really signaled as super gay to me, even when all the other mm -hmm. stuff was like little morsels here and there. I feel like her through line was really gay. Like she doesn't even make eyes at another dude. No. She doesn't end up with anyone. And there's one scene in particular, we talked about like the proxiness of it. And by me saying that, I'm referencing like a little bit of Fast and the Furious where it seems like there's a homoerotic relationship being built and there's a lot of attention and chemistry, but then they put like a hetero proxy there right. to kind of deflect you from, mm -hmm. you know, really investing in the homosexual relationship. And it's often a sibling in the case of Fast and Furious in this film as well, which yeah. is weird. And they, yeah, and it's so it helps that Cliff and Missy look so similar. But right. there's one scene in particular I don't think we touched on yet, but it's when Missy gets called an Uber dyke and then storms out of the auditions and Torrance comes to her house and Cliff opens the door mm -hmm. and you see Torrance like getting the initial flirting and all of the stuff out of the way with Cliff and then Missy comes forward and you kind of see this triangle of communication where Torrance is fielding the flirtatious vibes from Cliff while trying to woo Missy. Right. And Missy is taking her social cues from Cliff. Like whatever he thinks is cool, oh, they're flirting. So I think that's lame. Whatever he thinks it's lame, oh, they're flirting. I think that's cool. Mm. And it does this like reverse psychology. And then Missy just agrees to be on the squad. And that always felt like something really homoerotic to me. Right. Like the triangleness of it is totally there in most scenes. And even like whenever Cliff like wants to do something for tour it's very often missy like in the background being like hey here's a tip or like hey you're being stupid go talk to her or like yeah hey not right now she's talking to that guy with the clipboard you know like she's so tuned in <laughs> on torrance like yeah. torrance goes to brush her teeth here's the guitar yeah and it's like struck by a cliff and they're having that chemistry thing and then missy walks by and goes um, what are you doing? Yeah. The bathroom's over there. Do you like my brother? Like, Yeah, she checks Torrance and then she very quickly checks Cliff with that like facial expression. Yeah. It just seems like she is maybe a little too invested in this for a person who's not attracted to Torrance. Poor fucking girl. Could you imagine having a crush on a girl in high school and then like that person falling in love with your twin brother? Uh, and there's a scene before Nationals where they're sitting on the bed in their like hotel room yeah. and it really reminds me of Miss Congeniality yeah. where like it's Sandra Bullock's character with Rhode Island and mm -hmm. she's like, I'm so glad you're here. You're just so nice and so pretty and so yeah. confident <laughs> and they're having like a really weirdly intimate moment. Over hot chocolate. Exactly. So I, I was just picking up on every one of their interactions seems just a little charged for something I can't really understand. Yeah. And I think if Torrance wasn't, like, so dead set on being head cheerleader boss bitch and had, like, a little bit more room. Because she doesn't even focus too much on Cliff mm -mm. or Aaron. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, ultimately, they end up together, but it's not, like, at all the central part of this film. Like, maybe if she wasn't so distracted by all of that, she could see a little bit more with Missy. Yeah. So at the end of the film, you know, Nationals, the Clovers go on. And then the Rancho Carney Toros go on. And then, you know, spoiler alert, Clovers win. Yeah. And we get the wrap up that's like, I keep referring to other movies we've covered, but I can't help it. <laughs> it's like reminding me of the end of Cadet Kelly, mm -hmm. where the competition is over and there's like air leaving, you know, the tension of these relationships. And you see Missy and Torrance get closure in a really earnest and like chemistry filled way. Mm -hmm. And... 
then you see her get her closure with Cliff. And I feel like if she didn't get closure with Cliff, I'd be like, her and Missy are going to college and fucking. Dude, there's an alternate ending of them going to college. No, there isn't. I'm serious. It's not, like, exciting, and I can understand why it's an alternate ending. Yeah. Basically, you see... Tor on college campus wearing like a Berkeley cheer uniform and she like flounces up to Cliff and is like, hey, baby, you got like chemistry later? Uh, I do too. Yay. And they kiss. And then Gabriella Union walks up in a Berkeley uniform. No. With them kissing and goes like, Ugh, can you stop? We like have to go to cheer practice. And they have like this little moment. It's pretty insane. And then they like walk off into the sunset to cheer practice together because they're on the same team now. That is everything I've ever needed and more. And also I'm imagining Missy and Tijuana just getting drunk at this point. <laughs> yeah, Missy's in Tijuana. Yeah. They visit her on the weekend. She's like doing gymnastics and teaching gymnastics in Tijuana. Exactly. Uh, love this movie. Super great. Uh, the Clovers win. That's fucking life. And this was something Jessica Bendinger, the screenwriter, really stood by was that the Clovers would win first place at the competition um, even though the studio execs, of course, were like, well, the Toro should win because they're the main characters. <laughs> Jessica was like, no, this is not the story that is being told. And it feels right in the end. Yeah, it feels like Torrance really gets to learn an important lesson. As you're saying, she's tried so many different times to make it right <laughs> the whole film and it's been getting it wrong pretty consistently. And this feels like the natural closure that the story deserves. I mean, the Clovers are the blueprint, let's mm -hmm. be honest. They, they're just better. They're better. <laughs> the scene of them performing to this day gives me chills. Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm just a human. <laughs> On to the reception. Yeah. With a budget of $11 million, which, as I said earlier, how was that a low budget? In 2000? Whatever. That's like a $10 oh billion. God, dollars. Yeah. <laughs> With a budget of $11 million, this film grossed $90 million in the box office. Huge success. Our beloved boyfriend of the pod, the late Roger Ebert, <laughs> initially <laughs> criticized the film, calling it, a quote, a strange mutant beast, half Nickelodeon movie, half R-rated comedy. He did not like the tone of it, obviously. <laughs> um, but he later recanted his initial negative review of the film, calling it, quote, Citizen Kane of cheerleader movies. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> this is why he is our on-again, off-again uh. ex-boyfriend. He he's so toxic. He's so toxic. <laughs> he's hot and cold. Sometimes he's so incredibly infuriatingly wrong. And then sometimes he's like, yeah, that shit was fire. I can't lie. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, and I appreciate a person that'll be like, you know what? I was wrong in 2000. I love that he recanted because I'm just thinking that his granddaughter's like, come on, grandpa, let's put on, bring it on. And he's and he just sat there like, again, like, God damn it. Damn it. They had themes, didn't they? <laughs> it's like post 9-11. He's like, fuck, this is the Citizen Kane of cheerleading. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, but yeah, this fucking film is beloved. It has never once died in popularity since it came out. I think it's still being viewed as much today as it was when it first came out. Absolutely. And um, I read like a really long, big interview with like every person involved in this film. And many of them say like how important this film is to gay people. Lindsay Sloan, who plays Big Red, is like, I see people dressed up as Big Red on Santa Monica Boulevard all the time. <laughs> Drag queens love Big Red. Yes. And uh, Eliza Dushku says, sometimes gay men want me to do cheers in the produce aisle, and sometimes I do them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love her so much. So good. All right, Sam. Now's the hard bit. Or maybe it'll be easy this time, but we got to score this bad boy. Let's do it. How the subtextual score works is we each rate the film on a scale of 1 to 10 on how gay the movie is and how good the movie is, then we average all those numbers together to get a single subtextual score. Yes, we do. All right, Sam, how how gay is this movie? Uh, the gay things this movie has done to me. <laughs> um, versus That's a how, totally different score. Yeah, like versus how gay it actually is. Um, I'm going to give it a six. A six. What do you think is the gayest part of this movie? Less. Also, when uh, Missy gets to college, when she goes to Sarah Lawrence or whatever. <laughs> Obsessed. I'm going to give it a seven. Both for the characters and how it made me feel and also culturally how it makes all gay people feel. Um, yeah, a nice seven. And Sam, how good is this movie? Ten. Ten? Yeah, I love this fucking movie. Damn! I wouldn't change a line of this movie. This is one of the few movies I quote every day i got the door tour every time i hold the door open for anyone. I got the door, tour. 
Let me kiss by an angel girl. Um, I'm gonna give it a nine. That's all right. Some That's okay. You're wrong. gonna pump my gas someday. Bring it on has a subtextual score of eight. Let's go. All right, class dismissed. <laughs> I, you know, we're done. I just realized. I know you just finished your dissertation, but I just <laughs> realized that the character of Missy is like a different version of the character from Stick It. Right. She just wants to do gymnastics, and she's forced to do some performative, like heteronormative bullshit in skirts. That's it. That's all. She just wants to have like goofy male friends, and that's it. Yeah, and listen to Fall Out Boy and do some backflips, just like every other dyke I've ever met. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I love Jessica Bendinger. She really writes from my soul, not hers, apparently. Props, dude. Appreciate her. And I have to tell you, I spent a good hour and a half on the internet trying to figure out this woman's sexuality because Wikipedia does not have a lot on Jessica Bendinger, but I have a fucking feeling she gets. We claim those. We got you, girl. <laughs> when you can't Get figure it out, we count those. Huddle up, girl. You're with us. <laughs> if she's got a Sleater Kinney poster on her wall, god damn it. God damn it. She's one of us. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to keep this content ad-free, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash subtextualpod. See you next week. <laughs>